I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. Welcome to The Body Show. Each week we talk about health and fitness, but none of what we discuss replaces a visit to your own primary care provider. Telemedicine, have you had a virtual visit with your doctor yet? Well, it's something that everybody has ramped up to do because of the coronavirus pandemic, and yet a lot of us are still having some growing pains, learning all the tricks of how to make the technology work, and I admit I'm one of those folks. But today, we're going to talk with Dr. Corey Leo, and he is the CEO and Principal Investigator, Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and Catherine Mitchell, she is a Certified Clinical Research Coordinator at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and You guys have been doing telemedicine for a long time. We are all going to learn from you today about how to handle this with the medical community that are not in your group, but also learn some of the things that you guys have learned over the last couple of years, taking excellent care of our neurology patients. So thank you to both of you for being on today. A pleasure. Thank you for having us, Dr. Kozak. Well, now, Dr. Leo, you started the Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience Institute how many years ago now? Uh, Just a little over 10 years ago. A little over a decade. And you've been doing telemedicine for quite a while, but there used to be some restrictions on it. What made this something that a lot of folks weren't doing yet? Well, the three main barriers that have uh, really kind of uh, put a hole and prevented us from really going full force, uh, number one is the obviously the barrier for an approved eligible or originating site, like a designated rural health. And the second one is that uh, the patient has to have a prior established relationship with the provider. And the third one is approved online portals. You know, so those three are really the main barrier. But obviously with COVID-19, the public health emergency, and the CMS waiver 1135, uh, everything just went off and, and on March the 6th, 2020. And so as a result of that, you know, that previous rural health areas, you had you could not technically be approved to do telemedicine in an urban environment prior to the pandemic, and or you'd have to have certain certification for a site to be able to do this, usually a medical site, not necessarily somebody's home. And they also had that requirement that you have to have seen that provider before. So you mentioned that that's no longer a requirement. And I think that allows for folks who maybe haven't seen the doctor to not be somehow unable to to obtain care when they need it. So I think a lot of the the reasons why those particular barriers were taken away is really just to help serve the community. You mentioned the one about online portals. Boy, I'll tell you, I've learned about my uh, lack of technology prowess recently when I realized how old my phone was and my laptop was way too old to even have upgraded software. So I myself learned that, you know, if I, as somebody who uses computers every day, don't keep my tech up to date, I can't expect my patients to. So that was one of the concerns that I had when we started taking a look at trying to provide telemedicine. Catherine, how have some of the folks in your group overcome some of those barriers? These were the prior to the pandemic kind of restrictions. Some of those have been released and people are now allowed to use their their phones or use other devices and they don't have to be in a rural area. What are some of the other ways that you've seen people's technology gaps? Oh, I know I have one. How have you been able to overcome those? So definitely the 
Number one way that we were able to overcome the technology gap was simply communication. Um, at our office, we do have a telehealth coordinator who is assigned a particular patient. And the day before, we give them a courtesy phone call just to let them know, hey, we're going to be your point of contact for this televisit. We see that you have this scheduled with the doctor. And we just check in to see what type of um, technology that they have. Specifically with our Kupuna, the number one thing is we want to make them feel we want them to make them feel supported. And if we have a patient who says, oh, you know, I'm not very familiar with um, any technology, we tell them, sir or ma'am, do not worry. We are here to help you. And it doesn't matter if it's going to take five minutes or an hour. We will be here to serve you and help you. So really, it's taking off that pressure from our um, patients and letting them know that we're going to work together with it. I can tell you just from the weeks that we've been doing it, our team, we are we are whizzes with Apple ID password resets and anything that requires the portals and even email login at this point. But really, it's listening to the patients and hearing where their concerns are or hearing where their gaps are in their technology and then helping them get back um, so they're able to see the doctor. We tell our patients, don't worry, we will make sure that you will be seen by doctor and we will make sure that um, you'll be able to have this working. And I think having that preparatory pre preparation previously the day before, it allows the patient to go in on the day of the visit more confident and they're not worrying about the technology. Instead, they're able to focus on their health and getting the services and care from our providers. Sounds like a dream. I want to hire you to come help me because I think I'm, I've become one of those Kapuna who don't know what they're doing. So I agree. I think taking that stress away is, is ideal and it's it's definitely essential. Dr. Leo, what sort of the, the Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience Institute, you guys see a lot of patients with neurologic conditions and some of those conditions lend themselves very well to using telemedicine. And sometimes it's really just for the convenience and the, the ability of the patient to be mobile and get to your locations. So what are some of the types of medical conditions that you have been able to take care of using video visits or phone visits or however it is that the patient needs their care? Well, obviously, telehealth is uh, not ideal for uh, all situations, but uh, thankfully, uh, you know, we, we're not a surgical practice. Uh, you know, a lot of our visits are uh, in neurology, neuroscience, or cognitive, talking to patients and evaluating them. Uh, obviously, we still uh, lack the ability to examine them uh, in person, which sometimes are very important in neurologic uh, evaluation. We would like to uh, watch their movements, uh, feel their muscle tone, tap on their reflexes, look into their fundus, you know. Uh, but fortunately, a lot of um, our visits can be uh, even the neurologic history, whether it's a migraine headache, you know, test their memory, uh, ask them about how frequently the seizures are, you know, how their movements with Parkinson's are doing. Uh, fortunately, a lot of it can be assessed through telehealth. Um, so we are, in, in some sense, very fortunate um, to, to be able to take advantage of it. Obviously, there are procedures um, like, you know, having Botox for headache, uh, for spasticity, uh, doing an EMG for the neuromuscular condition, EEG for their seizures, um, interrogating their neurologic device like VNS cannot be done. Well, and it certainly sounds like there are some things that Hello. people have to come in 
to the office for and some things that they may not have to be seen for. It sounds like there is a concern that, you know, some things you might not be able to do. So kind of good that there are some ways that you can still communicate with patients. And like you mentioned, things that you can do with examining them, even just watching them with their movements when they're on the phone with you. Now, Catherine, when Mm -hmm. you are handling some of the patients who come in with some of these concerns, you know, I always find it uh, said quite a lot that history, taking a good, adequate history gives you 80 to 90 percent of what it is that you need when talking to patients. And I find that maybe telemedicine is ideal for that ability to just sit back and really listen to their story. Exactly. And for us, at least, um, we treat a telemedicine visit exactly like a normal clinic visit in person, meaning that once that the patient is the telehealth coordinator will seat the patient on the computer screen in the private clinic room, and we'll have our medical assistant come in and do the medical history and the medications. And for the patient, it's almost as if it's the same flow as if they were in the clinic. So our goal is to try to make the patient feel as if it's the same, whether they're on the screen or in person. But what's crucial is that having the medical assistant ask those questions for the medical history and then prepare the, um, the charts and as well as the vitals. What we've seen is a lot of our patients they do have blood pressure cuffs at home, and they are able to get their weight. So they are doing their best on their end to fill in as much information as they know. So the doctors are able to see the patient already and ready for that. Something that we've seen that's very successful at our practice. Well, and I think that's ideal. You mentioned that taking the time to go through that check-in process just like it would be through any process and making patients feel the most comfortable knowing that it's kind of like the same thing. You're going to check in and you're right. A lot of people do have blood pressure machines. So having them check it before the visit is always a good idea. Then you can enter that into the system and be able to keep track of that. Now, were there any particular challenges that you found really required some extra attention beyond the technology aspect and and give the rest of us some advice, either from the patient side or from the provider side of how to overcome some of those. Yeah, actually. So one of our most creative challenge that we had, and it was actually an amazing obstacle, was that we had a patient who had he needed translation services. So we were thinking, we're like, hmm, how can we provide the translation services? And we had the interpreter also, but um, typically in an in-clinic visit, what will happen is the interpreter will physically be there at the visit and interpret for the patient, for the doctor. So we had to really rack our brains and find a solution because ultimately our goal was patient-oriented. We were going to make sure the patient was going to be seen. So we ended up having a wireless um, speaker phone, and we called the translator on the wireless phone and put it on put it on speaker. That way, through the laptop and computer, the patient was able to talk, and the translator could pick it up on their phone and then translate via the phone, and the doctor was able to understand. So I think that scenario just shows that, you know, it, it's not going to be our first choice right now, but 
there is a way that our patients are able to receive care. So it's changing that mindset of, oh, no, I can't. We've never done this before to, yes, I can. Let's think about the solution. What resources do we have? How can we make sure that the patient can be seen? And ultimately, it worked beautifully. I can, um, I can happily say that we've had multiple um, telemedicine visits where we had translators um, on the other line, and that's also been really nice to have. The other obstacle that we had um, encountered was having our other family members join the call. For instance, if we had um, a concerned daughter who wants to be part of it, and something that we realized was the beauty of telemedicine is that we are able to connect. So what I was saying earlier is um, preparing the patient visit the day before. Yes, it's an investment of your time and your resources. However, the benefit is that it's a smooth sailing. And the day before, you can even ask, okay, what do you want out of your visit? Is it you want your daughter to also be there? All right, what is her number? And we're able to connect and have that support for it. Because as you may well be aware, not all of our patients come alone. They're usually supported with their family members or a caregiver. So we also want to provide that same support to them for a televisit. Well, and that's an ideal way to incorporate the whole entire care team, which often includes the patient, but also their caregivers as well. So it sounds like you've come up with some extremely creative solutions on how to use telemedicine to really help with some of the technology challenges, but also just some of the family dynamic challenges. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak. You're listening to The Body Show. When we come back, we're going to talk further with Catherine Mitchell and Dr. Corey Liao from Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience. We're going to talk about what they're doing right now to help service some of our neighbors islands, but also where they see telemedicine going in the future, because I do believe it's here to stay. People are liking it. They like the convenience. They like the service that's being provided. And I think the medical community is challenged with meeting those needs, and hopefully we'll do so just as well as we can. We'll be right back after this quick break. Stay with us. Support for The Body Show comes from the HPR Local Talk Show Fund, which helps Hawaii Public Radio sustain and grow its locally produced talk shows. Mahalo to contributors Shamanad University and Hastings and Pleadwell, a communication company. Welcome back to The Body Show. I'm Dr. Kathleen Kozak, and you're here in the studio with me, and I have on the line Dr. Corey Liao and Catherine Mitchell. They work at Hawaii Pacific Neuroscience, and we're just trying to talk about how do you incorporate telemedicine in neurology? I know in primary care we have had some challenges, usually my own, with keeping up with technology, but we've also found that there are some specialties for which there are some unique advantages to being able to provide these types of services. And Dr. Liao, you've also expanded. Previously, you were just located at the Castle uh, Adventist Hospital campus, and now you have some other locations where you've really found a way to service more of the community. Where are those? Well, we have four campuses currently. We have, um, besides at Adventist Health Castle, which is what we call Windward uh, Campus, we have a Honolulu Campus right out of, out of St. Francis uh, Health System. We're very fortunate to be able to partner with them. Uh, just this, that was about, we had that campus for about five years. Our Windward campus, we had it for about over 10 years. Uh, we're very uh, thankful. Just uh, this year, uh, we have also expanded two additional campuses to West Oahu, uh, 
uh, in Waikele, as well as uh, Kona on the Big Island. And so one of the advantages of expanding to those locations, I'm sure you found that there's a medical need, but there's also the aspect of patients coming to you. A lot of the disorders that neurologists have expertise in are movement disorders. It's difficult for patients to physically get here. Have you? Do you recall any particular scenario where there was uh, someone who you were able to see maybe in the Kona area that otherwise could not even have made it to Oahu or would have had a really hard time? Yeah, absolutely. Out of about 20, our 20,000 uh, patient uh, database, uh, about 10% of our patients are actually from the neighbor islands. Uh, so almost on a daily basis, we see anywhere from you know, uh, 10 to 20 patients that are flying in daily for their specialty care on Oahu. And uh, apart from the time and cost uh, that it takes for that to happen, you know, not just on the patient, but on the caretaker side, and the, the caretaker have to take their mom and dad or their son and daughter to come to travel to Oahu. I mean, we're talking about the human factors, too. You know, just uh, recently I had uh, an elderly Parkinson's patient uh, who is, uh, you know, as, as difficult as it is, you know, with the movements and everything, being a wheelchair, uh, having to travel to Oahu um, and needed their, their daughter and the son to come with them. You know, obviously they, they need somebody on the wheelchair. And because they, doesn't, they don't live close to Kona, they have to take the drive to, uh, to the airport. So besides the cost and the uh, convenience, there's also the human factor. You know, obviously adjusting their medication, uh, you know, it, it's not ideal when you're not on the same side as them. You know, sometimes, you know, sometimes when a, for Honolulu patients, we, we can adjust their medication and say, well, come on back, you know, uh, Friday, we'll take a look and see how things are going. Uh, it's not as easy as when they're on the, the outer islands. You know, and uh, apart from that, we also take care of a lot of patients with uh, migraine and seizures. You know, uh, just two weeks ago, I had a seizure patient because he had to get up so early to fly from Hilo site uh, to us. He actually had a seizure on the plane, you know, and obviously that, that didn't go very well. You know, they, they had to call the EMS as soon as he get to the airport and uh, we also had patients that travel from the Wainai Coast, uh, Makaha area, take the bus all the way to Honolulu, and um, you know, and then having seizures on the bus, having the migraine triggered because they they have to get up early. So these are real stories, you know. Uh, apart from the convenience and the cost, you know, these are real human factors that we really take into consideration in our plan to um, grow into this area of need on West Oahu and on the Big Island, uh, I I am I have to say that I'm very proud of our team, of our doctors and our 50-plus uh, employees who uh, unanimously agree that this is the right thing for us to do. You know, our doctors are willing to get up early, go to the airport, travel on their own time, you know, make some sacrifice, and uh, just get there to the Big Island uh, or take the drive to West Oahu and um, you know, I, I mean, I, I I am so fortunate, you know, none of them ever say, you know, why don't we just make them come here? You know, it's just one of those things. I, I'm so proud of our team. And Well, you have every right to be. It sounds like they've really gone out of their way to meet patients where they're at. And I think as we look at how 
telemedicine has transformed medical care, uh, truthfully, like in the last two or three months. A lot of providers are now doing either phone visits or video visits or electronic visits. They're opening up email communication with patients. And that's really helped to provide the convenience. It's funny, I was talking to a colleague of mine and I said, you know, it's kind of like the old the old doctor going to the patient. You know, we used to do home visits and we don't have the ability, well, we, we don't do that anymore. We, in general, we don't go to patients' homes to see them. They come to us. But now we've sort of taken a look and said, how can we leverage technology to help us to come to them? So it's a different way that we can really utilize the resources we do have to help them. Now, I'm curious, where do you see telemedicine going in the future in the world of neurology? Could you ever picture it expanding even further? Oh, absolutely. Because it, it is really exciting time. Um, I mean, we have sort of the COVID pandemic uh, sort of forces us to to get take the leap of faith and just, just go for it. You know, just like many other practices, you know, our volume are down from 30 to 70 percent. You know, on, on the first week of March, we had almost 400 patient visits. And on the fourth week of March, we had half of our patients are missing. So uh, unless a, a physician, um, a provider, are willing to take some, uh, to learn and take some risks, you know, uh, I think we are going to fall behind. Um, the way that I see it, uh, we, we really have to overcome this uh, with three hours, the way I see it. The first thing that, I, that we did was uh, obviously reach out. You know, we have reached out to um, uh, various organizations, um, you know, Adventist Health Castle, uh, Castle Health Group, PMAC, uh, UHA, HMSA, uh, you know, they all, this uh, excellent organization in, in our state that have all reached out to their providers and give helpful information on how to, um, you know, how to embrace telehealth and what to do during this COVID period. So I am so grateful for them and uh, I want to give them some credit. The second hour is to repurpose you know, what I'm hearing from a lot of uh, physicians is that, you know, I, I, I really, my staff, I have to put them off. I have to uh, lay them off. But it doesn't have to be that way. You know, what we had done, uh, Dr. Kozak, is we repurpose our staff. For example, our clinical staff, our MA, uh, that, that, that doesn't need to be there for the patient. We just have them help out with telehealth. You know, we just have them be on the phone and call the patient like Catherine explained earlier. Invest a little bit of time. Uh, the telehealth visit is so smooth. Um, you know, instead of laying them off, perhaps put them on furlough or reduce hours, you know. And so the second hour is repurposed. The third hour is realign, you know. So we really had, as a practice, as a group, we really had to rethink our priorities, you know. Where is our heart? You know, uh, our heart is obviously first and foremost is uh, for the people that are caring for our patients, you know, our own people. So we have, uh, we are one of the few organizations that did not lay off a single employee, you know. Uh, so we're very proud of them. We it, we had to, all the doctors had to take a sacrifice, and not one of the doctors uh, complained. They're all wanting to take a pay cut and give up their vacation. They're just going to uh, keep all of our employees. So we had to realign our priorities and our resources. So uh, reach out. Don't be. The, the, my advice to other providers is, the, uh, number one, reach out. Don't be shy. Number two is repurpose. Number three is realign. 
uh, I really think that um, it's definitely doable. If, if we can do it, I, I really believe that any providers in Hawaii can do it. Well, and I appreciate the fact that, boy, the the whole team had to make some hard choices on what's best to take care of the patients, but also to make sure that the organization is still able to exist and including expand in some of those new areas that you described that desperately need the assistance, particularly anybody who's on the neighbor islands that doesn't have the ability to come in and see a doctor or mobility issues or just timing it's so great to know that there are doctors that are going to those areas and able to service those needs, particularly in the specialties, because they often have a need for that extra specialty care. Now, I'm curious because, you know, a lot of the restrictions that occurred for telemedicine in the past kind of went away when we had the pandemic because we needed to be able to access patients and patients needed to be able to see providers so that we had to take away the rural designation. We had to open it up to different new patients and established patients. And we kind of had to be open and willing to look at some of the other new portals for ways to communicate using telemedicine platforms. Do you do you anticipate that, given the demand and the satisfaction of your patients, Catherine, do you feel like this is going to be here to stay, or do you think this is something that a lot of your folks have been so pleased with they're going to want to continue? Well, I'll actually let um, Dr. Liao answer this question. Oh. Yeah, no, I, I really feel that uh, telehealth and telemedicine is here to stay, uh, Dr. Kozak. There's no doubt about it. Um, even though we are aware that the public health emergency provisional exception uh, to some of the uh, what we call the provisional exceptions like the rural health, uh, the, the use of the online uh, relaxed HIPAA provision for the online portals, they may expire, uh, but we really feel that um, you know, as a group, uh, our, our heart is to um, to serve our patients. So we 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 are making plans uh, during this time, especially during this time, uh, to reach out to the patients who, even with telehealth, um, are not getting the care, the access to care that they need, especially those on the neighbor island. Um, you know, they they may not have the um, the, the online devices that uh, at home you know, even at their home. So uh, we, we have decided as a group to reach out to them uh, physically. But I also believe that um, by having a site on the Big Island will allow us um, to continue to use telehealth. So uh, providers during this time may also want to uh, launch off, you know, think of ways of what, how do we keep telehealth going after uh, the pandemic period, after the provisional exceptions comes to an end. Um, and, and and there's a whole uh, array of exciting features that come to telehealth, uh, especially with tele- tele-neurology, um, you know, technology can really launch us into now uh, even they have devices to uh, listen to a heartbeat, devices to um, feel the muscle tone, uh, do reflexes. Uh, there are uh, so much technology out there that are uh, uh, can be added to telehealth. So uh, I, I'm really excited, Dr. Kozak. I really think telemedicine, telehealth is here to stay, and uh, it is really a, a worthwhile investment on the part of the provider and physician to um, to relearn, to reach out, to repurpose, and realign. Uh, I think this is how we're not going to just get through this, but we are going to uh, thrive and, and be be. It, come out even stronger. I have no doubt about it. 
Well, I think it's inspiring, you know, learning how to use technology to help service the needs of the patients, no matter where they are. That's really the message that I'm getting loud and clear. And Catherine, you said, if there is an obstacle to overcome, you and your team have found a way to overcome that. So there are opportunities. <laughs> lots of opportunities. And I, I'm, I'm one of those folks that I have to learn some new creative novel ways to get up to date with technology and start doing things in a better way myself. Now, if anybody wanted to communicate and contact either one of you, what, how would they find HPN? Go ahead, Catherine. Yeah, sure. So they can call us directly at 808-261-4476. Additionally, we are on Facebook. We are on Instagram. So if you, and also we have our website, hawaiineuroscience.com. So please check us out. Reach out to us. We love technology, so we'll respond. (laughs) That's good to know. And thank you for sharing that information. Thank both of you for sharing your expertise with us today. Really appreciate it, getting the word out and all the great things that you're doing for folks all throughout the islands. If you'd like to hear the show again, you can click on hawaiipublicradio.org. Follow the podcast. Thanks to David, our engineer. I'm Dr. Kozak. We'll see you next week. Mm -hmm.